This episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which I was lucky enough to head out to Barcelona and see being unveiled at its launch and to chat to athletes like Sharon Nakidi, who won the New York Marathon a few years ago, who does all of her easy and steady runs in this pair of shoes. And then we've set Jess from The Running Channel a very specific challenge to train for 12 weeks for her fastest, hopefully, ever 10K, which is also back out in Barcelona. Yeah, she is loving training in this shoe. And I think it's important as well because we're so lucky we get to test lots of different shoes. But we do know that some people just want that one pair that will do everything. So Jess has been doing her long runs, interval sessions, and she will be tackling the final 10K in the Under Armour Infinite Elite shoes. Yeah, big focus on endurance and a brand new foam, which provides extra energy return and looks after you on even your longest runs. So if you want to know more, head to the link in the show notes. You are listening to The Running Channel Podcast with Rick over there pressing buttons, me, Sarah Hartley, and Andy Badley, my co-host. The reason I've done it in a very weird order is because it's birthday week for me and Andy. Yeah. Woo. Oh, gosh. <laughs> birthday week. You're more excited week. about this than, than I didn't yeah, know I this. I'm way more excited You two share a birthday week. Yeah. yeah we're, we're only three, well, day, three days apart and... Um, definitely not in actual age. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite funny that we're talking about running shoes today. Have you? I mean, yeah, how long? How long do I last? How how long? <laughs> <laughs> now that is a leading question. Uh, depending on how euphemistic you want to be. I love how you're 16 years older, but so much more immature. Yeah, I'm so childish. It's not even funny. Happy birthday, you two! Here's Thanks. the podcast. So, how's everyone's weeks been? Hot, Ooh, hot. Still hot. Yeah. So last week's podcast was really useful to look back and listen to myself on how to run a meet. <laughs> how many fans have you bought since last week? <laughs> well, have you ever actually bought subscribers? <laughs> oh, brilliant. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not going to buy any fans, Andy. It's not January. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just one, just one, just okay. one. We're cool, we're cool. Excellent. But speaking of considering it's our birthdays this week, I want to talk about have you ever done anything running related on your birthday? Like specifically for your birthday? No. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> right, you clearly right. have. Go on, hit me with your story. Well, no, because every year I see people who do run the as like run as many kilometers or miles as you are years old. Which yeah, me and Rick you, are going to struggle with that. You'd be out all day. <laughs> Rick, but, don't tie me with your brush. You're the old one. <laughs> but I, so I'm turning 25 this year, so oh. I've still got it within my wheelhouse, but I'm currently doing a 30 day challenge. So I can't do any extra miles. Yeah. So instead I'm doing a fun challenge where on Friday, I'm going to go out in a field because I'll be at my parents. Oh, just stop and stare at the field. No, so, so get up. no, 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 oh. no. I'm going to draw my age. I'm going to do a bit of Strava. Oh, oh, a bit of Strava. Yeah. Thing oh. is, though, this idea of running your age. So when you get to, you know, 75, I can't imagine on my 75th birthday, I fancy cracking out 75 miles. 75 minutes, though, maybe? Minutes. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking minutes. I, could do, I could do 41 minutes. Seconds. Yeah. Seconds would be good. <laughs> yeah. I've got to save myself this week. We're, uh, we're out filming. A, I've got to try and run a 10K and commentate on it whilst running it live, one take. Oh, really? Um, on What's Wednesday, this for? Yeah. Um, for? It'll be a video on YouTube where it'll be me talking you through how to run a sub 45 minute 10K. Whilst wow. running a Whilst sub running. 45 minute 10K. We did yeah. it for 5K and it yeah. went so well that we thought, why not up the yeah, stage? Roll me out again. Yeah. <laughs> roll, roll Andy out. Happy birthday. Like, right, Andy, this week you're going to run this. Off you go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little bit how it goes. Have you done it, Sarah, on sub 45? Yeah, once. Yeah, I thought so. On a track. Yeah. I'm yeah. not joining Andy this week. What time do you reckon you could do it in Andy now? Uh, under 40 minutes, yeah. so somewhere between 36 and 37 minutes probably. 
oh, you know, when you get genuinely excited about one of our videos about watching it, I can't wait to see this. That is really good. <laughs> and we're, obviously, possible. the whole video isn't going to be the full 45 minutes long. That'll be a put, long watch. We're yeah. going to put fun little speed ups though. So you will, yeah. we are doing it all in one go. Yeah, I've got to give a commentary as I go. And the idea is that I have experience in, in running at that level and thinking about what you might want to be focused on, whether that's your running form, ways of distracting yourselves from the fact that it gets quite difficult if you mm -hmm. are trying to run a PB mm. or if it's the furthest you have ever run. Um, so yeah, all of the things that you can think about at the various different points. Um, and if you're thinking, oh, Andy always makes it look easy. He's not going to be running it like I am. Don't worry, because we've thought of a solution to that. And that's also a future video coming soon. Oh, have we? Do I know about this? Yeah, you do know about this. Okay, right. I've okay. probably just said it too cryptically for you to <laughs> yeah, work, out. work out. What it so is. should we talk about what we're talking about this week? Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So how quickly should running shoes wear out? The reason I'm excited is because 16 years ago, I bought a pair of running shoes for my mum's house, which I visit at Christmas. <laughs> for you, I'm sorry, I'm just imagining yeah. your run, mum's for, house running. For, for, my, for Christmas and Easter, so I didn't have to bring back a pair of running shoes right, 250 yes. miles north every time I make the trip. So it's you, just extra stuff. So yeah. I've left those running shoes at my mum's house yeah. since, what, 2007? I yeah. think they've been yeah, there yeah. and they, they, they get, they get a couple of runs. They get a few runs out, you know, Easter and Christmas every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are those shoes now dangerous and likely to cause me an injury As in you're or still, are they okay? You're still wearing them now. Yeah. So when I go back for the you're Open dangerous. Championship Golf yourself. in July, when I get, I'll be, I am dangerous. <laughs> uh, that sounds so dodge. Uh, <laughs> when I go back for the Open Championship, I'll probably run, what, I don't know, three, four, five times in that week. In, in in July, yeah. But they, this is the seventeenth year. They still feel good, maybe a, a touch unstable at times. Um, but are they okay to use? No. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, next move on. Interesting. Well, the I mean, loads of things at play here, and, and this is a really complicated topic. So, um, there's a there's a classic thing that gets kind of reeled out, and it's probably something that we've said on on the channel before with a, a caveat, but often that gets taken out of context. And then people quite rightly will get annoyed about the generalization of say 300 to 500 miles for a pair mm. of shoes. It's very individual and we definitely wouldn't encourage people to be rotating through shoes or throwing them away for the sake of it, particularly in the world we live in now in terms of being as conscious as we should be about the environment and sustainability. But there are also potential biomechanics and then ultimately injury implications to continuing to run in shoes when they are past their best. So it's, it's, there's loads of things that will factor into it. The key thing that's probably at play here isn't the distance that you've run in the shoes. It's just how old they are. And foam, certainly older foams, to my knowledge, degrades over time. So the midsole, really? what it's physically made of, will be significantly less cushioned than it was when you bought them. Even if you hadn't run in them a day between now and 2007. Well, it um, would have degraded naturally just yeah. by lying there. Yeah. Wow. Also, surely it must feel so different going from... Because you run in like quite cushioned, quite high stack height shoes. Yeah. Going from that. I, I, run, into... I run in the high heels of trainers. Yeah. Your, your te <laughs> technology's changed so much in that yeah. yeah. years. Okay, so maybe it's time to upgrade my uh, pair of uh, running shoes in my mum's garage. What, order a new pair to her yeah. house and then maybe. Get maybe another 16 years out yeah. of okay, I was going to say maybe on. rotate every like two to three, four I, to five. I suppose that's a really good point, isn't it? Because the technology in running trainers. Um, in in the last few years has just sped up a, a 
incredible rate to what it was doing before. So the last, where we were, where we are now compared to two years ago mm. is almost the same as much as two years ago to 10 years ago because they've developed so much. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think from say 2000, 2010, there wasn't, or it didn't feel like it when I was running at that level that there was this huge step change at any point. Like things got lighter and trends came in and out as to whether mm. it was going to be liked by being really minimalist and almost barefoot. Um, or whether it was then it started shifting towards slightly newer foams in the early 2010s. But yeah, now in the last four or five years, shoes are unrecognizable to what they were. So that's another thing probably, like just in your very, very unique instance there, is running in the more modern foam shoes and then going back to the older shoes. Not only will the foam have degraded, but like mechanically it'll be used to different things now. So um, certainly I've been speaking to coaches recently who worry sometimes when they're coaching people, a little bit like me and Sarah, who will test a lot of, different running shoes yeah whether that's actually slightly bad for us because we never settle into something that's well stable and perfect for our own running mechanics would foam degrade at a much slower rate on the newer shoes it's probably too early to say um i was trying to read up on this as much as i could before um before the podcast um but the the new foams haven't been around that long i think mm. most people would still say don't hammer the same pair of shoes every day if you are running you know, four, five, six times a week. If you have the luxury of having an extra pair of shoes to rotate um, so that you can, even if they're an identical pair, just to give the foam enough chance to to recover. But I'm not sure how much science there is in, in that. And then you've got the carbon plated shoes. And I was looking on, and this isn't unique to On, for example, but the On Cloud Boom Echo 3 um, is a new, uh, their new super shoe that's coming out. And on the box, it says good for four marathons. Um, four? Yeah. Um, and it's and I suppose at least they're being over four miles. Yeah. Mm. Wow. It's nothing. But then if you think about it, I think there's such a big disconnect between all of these super shoes are kind of at the forefront being engineered for elite runners. And then think about how many marathons they run in a year. Yeah. But then they also might potentially be getting a fresh pair of shoes for every run. But then when you trickle that down to the average runner that might be running four marathons in the space of six months, that's then like, oh, well, am I getting that much? out of my like for my money yeah and, and on just we'll, we do super shoes now and then there was a really sarah asked me a really interesting question that we should come on to which was if you're running faster do your shoes wear out more quickly talking about running faster super shoes i went down a rabbit hole when i was looking into this and there's actually a really cool piece of research by someone called healy and hoog kamer i don't know how you pronounce the second person's name so apologies if they're listening in the journal of sport and health science in 2022 because one of the things that could degrade in your super shoes you've got the foam you've got the outsole that could wear through to the foam but then you've got the, the physical carbon plate in the shoe and whether that might snap you know if you if, you, if it potentially mm. degraded to the point where you've worn it so much that it snapped or if you just happen to i don't know step on an aggressive curb or something and snap yeah. the plate, does it make any difference and they actually found no that in terms of the, the running economy having a snapped carbon plate didn't actually impair your running economy compared to running in a perfect pair of the same shoes they did in the really? vapor flies wow yeah. I wonder though, so the Vaporflies obviously have this really iconic patented plate shape yeah. and then loads of other shoe companies have lots of different ones. So for example, the On shoe that you just mentioned, that has like two plates, one at the midfoot, one at the How does like, it? Yeah. slightly further back towards the shoe. Yeah, and Adidas has their rods. Adidas has rods. I wonder if, if a rod snaps... Yeah, I the, guess then you've got other rods. But that's interesting that you could yeah, they, have... They made six cuts in the, I think in the forefoot of the plate. To, really? To see and it, it still like, didn't make a difference? It completely threw it. That's my understanding from reading the paper. Yeah, that, that, but it, and it didn't make a measurable difference in 
running economy compared to running in a perfect, pristine pair. So that's a total aside, but I still thought it was interesting that people are starting to do that those tests now as to, and it shows how little we understand about the interaction between the carbon plate and the foam as to what actually make, helps you run faster in the super shoes. Yeah. What I find really interesting using super shoes in this example is that when you look at like an everyday trainer, it will quite often have an entire outsole, which is there to like protect the shoe. Whereas then when you look at carbon plated shoes, they're quite often so stripped back to make them the light as, as light as possible, yeah. that it means that they're really trying to cut every little thing that you possibly don't need. So if you look at actually the outsole on those, mm. they're only putting kind of bits of rubber or kind of more hard wearing materials where they think you're going to need it. So it's quite interesting looking at how, where they think you're going to strike the ground. Cause I've seen somewhere on the like, bit closer to the inside of your foot yeah. there's nothing on the kind of midsole towards the heel but then on the other side on your out outer bit of your foot they've actually yeah. lined all of that i see well it's a bit like when you get out of a swimming pool you see how much of your foot actually touches the ground yeah it's exactly like that but then but then if you're if you're just running purely on like flat pavement or really really groomed yeah i don't know but then if you're running on quite a rocky cobbles yeah. your whole you foot is going to hit the ground. Yeah. yeah or if yeah. you're, I don't know, smashing into the curb as you come up onto the pavement, I feel like you might get stones. Yeah. But I suppose that's it. in trainer design, isn't it? So if you're, if you're a trail runner, uh, I, I trailed some train running shoes for us a couple of weeks ago, you can feel they've got a better degree of sturdiness to them. Mm. On how yeah, they're, they're aimed at keeping you sort of yeah. more stable and, and slightly, maybe not lower to the ground, but more of a ground feel so that you can have that proprioception. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's fascinating that, like you said, the, the lighter and more expensive, ironically, the shoes get, the probably less durable they are, that the rubber that you're talking about or the compound they have as the outsole is thinner or not there at all. So mm -hmm. for example, Under Armour shoes, they, they use a particular midsole compound that means the midsole is also the outsole. Yeah, that has a massive impact on how quickly things are going to wear down. And I think that's what you need to look for. If you're trying to work out how quickly your shoes are worn out or whether you could keep wearing them, if they have good outsole coverage still, then that's a good initial indicator. Maybe that you've got a nice neutral gate and you're not wearing one particular patch away. Okay, but, so but literally by looking underneath the yes, shoe. Yes, exactly. Okay. Look, look, at, look at your wear pattern on the, yeah. the outsole. And most people are wearing everyday running shoes for most of their stuff, so they will have more rubber to play with. But then if there is a patch which is worn through to the, the white foam midsole, that's usually white. Um, Time to change. I, I would say, yeah. As you get to that point, then the moment that you hit that, last little bit of rubber, then all of a sudden the foam is going to degrade super quickly underneath mm. every time you're running. That is really useful. Someone also told me as well that they look at they look at the side of their shoe and whether they're starting to get little creases in the yeah. foam as well, because that yeah. shows that it's not quite like springing back to full height. Yeah, my, my 2007 pair of New Balance <laughs> definitely aren't springing back. <laughs> they're yeah. not spring yeah. They're just a pancake <laughs> yeah. on the floor. Yeah. And then... Part related to that, all of the factors that feature in, in how quickly your shoes wear out was Sarah's question, which was, do they wear out more quickly if you run more quickly? Mm, yeah, what actually affects it? Well, so your weight will affect it as, as an individual, as a mm. runner. So how heavy you are must have an impact on the foam of the shoes. So how much, how many times you're going to be able to repetitively hit the ground and get the same kind of response and bounce back from the foam is going to be impacted by how heavy you are. But then not only that, that interacts with how you hit the ground. So if you reach out in front of you and you're overstriding and you, your heel hits the ground really heavily first and then you spend a long time on the ground, like a long ground contact time, then again, that's going to have a more significant amount of wear on mm. the shoe. So a heavy contact, 
the long time where the, the shoe is being compressed and then decompressed as you kind of toe off again. What about then, cadence? Yeah, well then equally yeah. though, if you're a fast runner and you've got a very high cadence, mm. then that's going to make them wear out quicker as well because you're you're not necessarily, your ground contact time might be less, but you're hitting the floor more because your cadence is high. Yes, yeah, so if you've got a high cadence, then you are going to have, you know, for the same number of miles run, the higher the cadence you have, the more times the shoe will have physically hit the ground. Mm. So it's a real hard, this is an impossible question to answer as to which wears it out more. So Heavy long foot long foot contacts are more likely to wear out the the foam and, and how responsive the shoes feel. But then lots of quick tap 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 fast cadence that potentially could wear out the outsole more quickly because of these more friction, more abrasive, all the rest of it. And the faster that you are running, the um, the the higher the level of friction as you hit the ground. But you could be a more efficient runner. So you could be making beautiful midfoot contact underneath your hips as you're running, which would be the perfect running form more or less. And therefore the wear is really kind of evenly distributed on the shoe. But so I think our advice would be look at the underside of your shoe to see how much you're wearing out different sides of the, the different parts of the rubber. And that's a really good injury indicator too, potentially that if, if one shoe is massively different to the other, then you, you've got a big imbalance that you might want to, even if you don't have any pain, mm. you might want to go and see someone about um, although don't change if it's not broken, I suppose, but still worth bearing in mind that could. So certainly if you see a big imbalance between your shoes and you're only running once or twice a week and you want to go to run three, four, five times a week, those imbalances will get massively exaggerated the more running you're doing. Yeah. Also, if you have more than one pair of shoes in rotation, so you've maybe got an older pair and a newer pair, mm -hmm. I would say, do you feel the difference between them? Because that's often what people say, if they only have one pair of shoes in rotation, it's often like, will you feel a massive difference if you get a newer pair? Doesn't necessarily mean that it's time to retire the older pair, but it might be that you swap that into your kind of easy run, or you said you used to use your old shoes as like gym shoes as well. Yeah, I think I, I could, I had the luxury of, of perhaps running in one pair of shoes and and, and I, I would always mark my shoes as well. So I'd write on the outside of the midsole or, or write somewhere recognizable. So I knew which shoe had come in when. Yeah. And then I obviously had a training, well not obviously, but I did have a training diary. I knew how far I'd run in those shoes. Strava does that for you now, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a paper training diary. Um, to, uh, so it didn't, it didn't shout at me to change my shoes, but it, it meant I could keep track of when I'd put each shoe into rotation. And then I, I had like shoe pair one and two or whatever. And then I knew which one was older. And then... The idea was I couldn't really feel the difference, but the moment yeah. I did start to feel the difference, then I knew that was the time for one of them to go. Um, That's mad that you could feel the difference though. Yeah. Because I mean, surely- I was running so much, I suppose, though I had that, I was finally tuned to that. But the, the, at the real extreme, if a shoe has has gone, or maybe it's never as, as clear as it having dropped off a cliff, but just putting on a new pair of shoes of the same shoe. And that's, that's the, the luxury I had. I was running in- the same shoes each time. I see. So they feel so much firmer and more stable. Yeah. Or, or, or the opposite. Yeah. Sometimes they might have felt more plush and cushioned because the other one, I was almost just going through the foam once it's degraded, like I'm just oh, hitting the ground and it's almost slapping. And sometimes you could hear it actually. I do find it interesting how it's done on mileage as opposed to time. Because if you think about like, surely if someone's running, say we take that four marathon example, if yeah. someone's running four marathons in eight hours per marathon yeah. and someone's running four marathons in two hours 30. Yeah. That's a massive difference there in time on feet. Yeah, and it's, but, a, it's a total, it's, it's a massive difference in, if people's cadence are, just generally sit within a similar range. Mm. So if you're running for twice as long, you've probably taken twice as many steps in those shoes. Yeah. So I guess they have to give it a quantifiable and easy to understand, like roughly you'll yeah. get. And that's the, the takeaway here is every bit of advice, 500 
miles, four marathons, whatever the, the individual pair of shoes is, is totally, it's a, it's a generalization. Mm. And if you're easy on your shoes, if you, you happen to rotate them, if you're, you, you have an efficient stride length, you're not seeing uneven wear underneath then you're probably going to get quite a lot longer out of your shoes than someone else who sees the opposite and kind of bursts through the toe box on the outside, wears away a section on, on the inside of the outside of the, of the rubber. That just shows you that you're going to be slightly harder on your shoes. And you're going to have to take that hit in terms of buying them more frequently. There's also though, if it is the upper that you wear away first, like I know a few people who have like their toes have come through the top maybe yeah. and you're gutted because everything else to do with the shoe is fine. Check out the green runners because they do these little um, like medical kits for your shoes where you yeah. can repair it. So if sustainability is something that you are conscious of and you run a lot, definitely take a look at that because you, you need to prioritize whether it's putting you at risk of injury, but equally from a sustainability angle, you can quite often repair especially as a trail runner yeah. you're gonna you're way yeah you might snag quick. shoes and stuff and yeah, yeah and get holes in the upper so definitely good so they, they can be repaired and then you can also think about donating your shoes once they've reached the end of their life for you you can donate them to charities that will try to do something with them whether they create new like playgrounds or something with them yeah. or whether mm. they repurpose them for people who don't need them for running but but might be able to use them elsewhere and then i guess as a final point at the other extreme of brands it's not just, I mentioned on because I just read it on the box, but most of the super shoes at that level are designed to not last that long, to be as performance focused as possible. But then there are other brands really focused on making their shoes last as long as possible without them feeling super firm or, or sort of heavy and durable. They're trying to get durability through innovations. I spoke to Decathlon recently and they were talking about in the future trying to get all of their shoes to go for a thousand, fifteen hundred kilometers, which would, you know, wow. make a massive difference. Great. Well, you are listening to the Running Channel podcast. Up next, we've got some great news stories, and then it's time for our favorite bit: your questions. Don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite shoes. Now, at the Running Channel, we bang on all the time about how if you want to run fast, you need to run slow. I'm talking about the 80-20 rule. Yes, you need to do the vast majority of your training at an easier or steadier pace. And you need an everyday pair of running shoes that you trust to do that. And the Infinite Elite has brand new cushioning technology in the form of Under Armour's Hover Plus. So that's designed to support you for the whole of even your longest runs with extra cushioning and energy return. So that's what this is all about. Yeah, and if you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes. Don't forget this episode is sponsored by Puma Running and their Nitro range of running shoes. Andy, you're not too good at pacing, are you? Hang on, what, what, how am we I being thrown under the bus? We asked you to run a 20-minute 5K, and what time did you run? 18 minutes something. I mean, you were close. Ballpark? You, you were close, ballpark. Better yeah. to be under than over, right? Yes, well, that's what I thought. Yeah, well, good news for you. We require your pacing duties again. At the so, end, good news for me, maybe not for anyone else who's, who's allocated to me as a pacer. Well, potentially not. I mean, you'll get a really big PB. We are <laughs> going to be running a 10K event later this year, and you listening right now have the chance to be involved. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, we want to help as many people as possible to run a PB, whatever that PB might be. It's going to be in collaboration with Puma as well. So keep your eyes peeled for how you can sign up. And don't forget that we've got the discount code of Puma TRC25 for 25% off. So head to Puma.com. So you're listening to the Running Channel podcast. Up next, we're going to answer your questions, which is my favorite bit of the week. But also we have a new story that Sarah and I have picked out for you each week. Sarah, what's yours? Okay, this is a challenge for you, actually, but I spotted it. It's on our website. You can read about it. A little plug there this if you never, want to read more. But Andy, how fast do you reckon you could run a half marathon? Uh, we talked about really early on in the podcast, the 10K world record was broken with a buggy. Yeah. Now the half marathon record's been broken. And I reckon, you know, with a bit of training, you could get there. In a buggy? You might need to have another kid. 
Yeah, yeah, their Mars is getting a bit heavy now. (laughs) (laughs) I might as well have Rick in the buggy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you want me to. Oh, well, there's a challenge in itself. There's you with a carafe of Pinot Grigio. Grigio or a Gavi de Gavi. You've got a very specific one. We'll put it in taste. a little hydration vest for you. That would be amazing. Just so it doesn't spill. Gavi yeah. in a hydration vest? So Brilliant. good. Never Just use it again for a runner. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. So Jacob Summer Simonson, amazing name, ran a half marathon in, any guesses? Oh, it's uh, going to be ridiculously with a, fast, a half marathon with a buggy. With a buggy. Under and a one year old. Under 17. An hour and a half? Hour and a half. No. No, faster than that, surely. Way faster. One hour, eight minutes and oh, four was, seconds. I was pretty close. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? He had a one-year-old in it. He'd recently run the Copenhagen Marathon and did it in two hours, 14 minutes and 46 seconds. Two hours, 14. So, so maybe, Andy, that's what you need to go for first. A two-hour, 14 marathon. And that's then next an elite, year, we'll get you on this. It's an elite marathon, 2.14, pretty much. Hey, you were at the Olympics. That's like world championship sort of level, possibly. Yeah, one, it, one hour, eight minutes for the buggy. That's just, I mean. There were corners as well. I was watching him do it. Like there were quite a lot of corners. What buggy did he have? I bet he had an incredible, I bet he had a tailored buggy. Is it like leaning? It was a Ferrari. You know, like the, yeah. <laughs> it had exhaust. He leans around the corners and, yeah. and, he's, and he's giving instructions to his little one. He's only one. He's like, lean, right. Lean. Right. <laughs> lean. Can you lean. imagine? Yeah. <laughs> Wonder if had a battery. Imagine at the well. start line if the one-year-old was like, I don't feel like it today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not feeling it today, daddy. <laughs> not. Can we do something else? Yeah. Oh, well, I definitely can't run 68 minutes downhill super shoes that's actually quite without a, a buggy a good attention span for a one-year-old right andy what's your news story okay so mine's something that we've touched upon previously and i don't want to go over old ground i'm so old that i had to check with sarah whether it was okay to talk about this because i couldn't exactly remember what we'd said just but double threshold running mm-hmm. is my news story which might not sound like a news story there's an amazing website called letsrun.com that is where you should go for any information if you're a super fan of of track and field broadly. Mm. Um, and they had this really interesting article about the rise and the rise of double threshold running. So what this is, is when I was training, I'd have, my week was broadly broken up into three hard sessions a week. But on those hard session days, I'd do the hard session in the morning and then I'd have to do a recovery run in the evening, regardless of what the session was in the morning, just to allow my body to recover in time to go again the next day or the day after that. Um, but what a lot of the current pros are doing, and this is... St- in this really interesting article is now prevalent all the way across the collegiate system in the US as well. So it's starting pretty young, 18, 19 year olds going to university and then being given double threshold days. So they'll do a threshold workout in the morning and instead of them being say a 10, 10K, six mile threshold run that's just at threshold for six miles, they'll break it up into intervals. Um, so they do threshold intervals and then they'll have the day to recover, like, I don't know, five, six hours to recover and then they'll do it again in the evening. Um, the same session. So what's the a, benefit? A very of this? similar session. What, what's the benefit? Because threshold running, like they're, they're pushing right up to, but not above their lactate threshold. So the point is you're trying to shift that lactate threshold higher so that your way of working aerobically is maximized. And then when you're doing training for the 5K, the 1500, whatever it might be, they'll then do really specific sessions throughout the summer. But the idea is that you're getting more training in at that at that threshold point, which makes you more aerobically fit. And um, are they saying that okay. they can now do this because of the technology that's changed in running? So the, the uh, yes, ultimately a lot of the athletes that are now massive proponents of it, and these are guys who've run like 205 for the marathon and uh, and, and Jakob Ingebrigtsen is the Norwegian superstar of the 1500 meters 5K at the moment. He's running stellar times. I keep banging on about him. Him and his brothers have come from Norway, which is, is mm. being kind of cited as the home of double threshold running. Um, and it's just, 
I just think it's fascinating because I don't think I physically could have done it. I was relatively injury prone and I feel like I was right at my red line of what I was able to do in a week without breaking down. And yeah, a lot of the athletes are saying now that the foam in the shoes is allowing them to do it because they can recover in between. I see. So I, I just think it's really interesting. It's, it's, there's not that many fundamental changes to the way people have run in the last 20, 30 years. Like it's, it's you know, do these kind of intervals, structure your week in roughly this way. And then, yeah, there'll be things like ice baths or cryo chambers or better sports nutrition and stuff. But the actual basics of training hasn't leapt forward probably, to my knowledge anyway. Someone will write into us and, and they should do actually. Podcast at themoneychannel.com if you've got a question about any of this or if you think you, you know something that would be really interesting. But it hasn't though, really, because I mean, you only, we joke about it, but you only retired a few years back and yeah. it hasn't changed that much in but, five years, has it? No, but, that, but now these guys are saying that they can do basically this, some of them twice a week, they can do this double session day twice a week and recover from it. And the only way that, you, that this might be a slightly controversial statement to put in, but the only way you could recover enough to train like that previously was with drugs. So that was yeah. what things like EPO and growth hormone and so on did. They allowed you to recover quickly. They didn't just make you faster. You had to still do loads of training. Um, when but, you hear stuff like this, not the drug stuff, the the fact that people are training like this, yeah. does it make you think, God, I wish super shoes were around in my day so I could have seen how much faster I could have got doing this? Or does it make you think, oh, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad I'm out of the game. <laughs> it makes me so. It makes me question whether or not I could have been less injured if 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 I could have had that power of recovery mm. from the shoes. Yeah. But yeah, part there's a there is a big part of me now. I've just lost that ability to push myself and really hurt myself where I'm like, oh God, doing that, that would have been at least two extra workouts a week. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. So yeah, um thanks to Let's Run for that article. There's just they they've credited a guy called Marius Backen, um, who was a student himself back in the late nineties and then trained with whole bunch of amazing coaches and then kind of developed his philosophy um, and i'm not sure how much that philosophy was then taken on by the ingebritsons but now everyone worldwide is is trying this well if you would like andy to try just hey, no, no. one day of this email in podcast at the running channel i'd love to see it i'd love to see it rick questions Okay, so I'm going to start with a, a bit of a shout out. If you have got a burning running question and you actually might think that you're a little bit embarrassed about asking it, we want this to be your safe space yes. for running questions. So whether it's innovative, sedate, boring, enriching, creative, you know, seductive, whatever oh, your was question is. I was waiting for your vocabulary to run out. <laughs> <laughs> podcast at therunningchannel.com and please tell me where you're from well i was going to say either tell rick your name where you're from everything or if it is a seductive question i'm really wondering what that is we can keep you anonymous that's absolutely fine but i do prefer when i know who you are (laughs) (laughs) it's a safe space and there are no stupid questions yes starting off today with Robert from The Hague in the Netherlands, who's emailed asking, on the topic of splits, I constantly hear about positive and negative splits, but how about flat pace? I do try to keep a steady pace on the long runs and settle into a nice constant minute to kilometer. Now that is an interesting one, isn't it? Because Mm. when we're talking about negative splits compared to positive splits, flat pace is 
you'd probably argue is the dream because that means we're consistent the whole way. We're not going off too fast and we're not having to save that extra bit of energy at the end. That also shows that you really are dialed into pacing as well. Like I'm currently doing a 30 day challenge using the runner app and a lot of my sessions, they put like a bit of a blurb at the start and they're constantly being like, try to keep a consistent pace. It hasn't happened yet, (laughs) but I'm trying. Very very personal thing to you because you're, terrible at pacing yeah um but the uh, yeah i would say that rick's hit the nail on the head here i think we we hammer negative splits because i think ultimately going off too fast has such can have such a catastrophic detrimental effect to Mm. your usually we talk about races for this Mm. as well it can have such a bad effect that you know by being 30 seconds too fast at a particular point you could end up losing minutes and minutes at the end whereas by giving yourself some leeway and aiming for a negative split, you sort of force yourself not to overcook at early doors. But yeah, I would say that, that, that almost the holy grail would be to be able to go to just be at your at or just below your red line the whole way yeah. and, and run a, a nice even run. But here, I think in terms of uh, Robert's specific question, if you're on a long run that isn't a race, then I think actually there's a, there's a real skill to be trained to just hold a steady, constant pace. And that will yeah. you'll reap the rewards of that in any race or training situation if you can dial into a pace within a few seconds within a few seconds i mean it's not that precise that you need to you know slow down for every mile marker yeah and you take into account your so you could use something like grade adjusted pace if mm -hmm. you are running on a on an undulating course to give you a more of a representation of of how fast that would be but if you're on a flat you're on a flat then I think your focus should be just, can I can, can I maintain this pace? And what does it feel like without looking yes. at my watch? It's so hard though, because Sarah and I just did a video on this where we had to do our own pacing for 5K. Mm. So we had to try and yeah. uh, go slightly faster and on every single kilometre. And just going up those couple of seconds a kilometre, you've got to be so, like you mm. say, dialed into your pacing that you don't push yourself too hard yeah. to go that maybe 20 seconds faster on a kilometre because then the next one, you're not going to be able to do it. We also did it in the really extreme sense of negative split. So usually you would just look at like the two halves of a race yeah. and go like, okay, if the second half is faster than the first, I've negative splitted. Yeah. Whereas we did it two extremes where every kilometre had to be faster. So actually, if you start off nice and steady, keep that consistent pace throughout the entirety of a race and then maybe your last couple of kilometres you ramp it up and that gets you a negative split, That that's still really good as well. But I think it's just making sure that you're not kind of jumping up and down throughout the race. Yeah, I think to, to summarise the answer to this question is don't neglect pacing as a skill that you can learn. So mm-hmm. that we often talk about running form and all those things you might think about. But it's a really good way of staying present in the run, which is a type of mindfulness, a way that you yeah. might enjoy your running more. Just to focus on, on the pace and kind of feeling it feeling Mm. how hard it is are you pushing forwards or or just dialing back a little bit to stay on pace and not get not get too carried away but learn it and you can improve it okay this one's from paul clark from leeds who says i've got a question regarding my 5k time i've done a sub 20 a few times last year but i just can't get back to it currently he's around sub 21 I always have a sprint in me and can really speed up for the last 200 meters. If I have energy left for the last 200 meters, then why should I not push a little bit earlier? And if so, when should I do that push? This is tricky, isn't it? Because he's already been at the pace that he wants to be back at very recently, but can't get that extra minute off now. So are there potentially other factors, do you think, at play here? Yeah, I would say, we just did a video about this. I ran a sub-20-minute 5K whilst talking about it, not mm. to 
show off, but to hopefully talk people through exactly this, which is like, what should it feel like when your mind starts to wander or you're worried about the pacing? What do you do to kind of refocus? How should, how can you use running form cues to kind of keep your mind in the game? And then when should it start to hurt? When should you start to be focused on pushing harder? But a, a real summary would be from three to 4k is, is the bit where you've got to, got to dig deep because like he said, in the last 200 meters, he finds it easy to sprint. That's normal. That's, mm. that's how everyone feels. But you've got to shift your mindset to this opportunity. So it's not, oh my goodness, I don't want to go hard now because it, I'll save a bit to the end or I'm a bit worried about how I feel or whether I'm going to blow up and not be able to do it. You've got to shift that completely to be like, this is my opportunity. I want to run under 20 minutes or whatever your time might be if you're listening to this under 25, under 30 minutes or running your first ever 5K to try and run faster shift the mind to be like every time it gets difficult you're like this is my opportunity to do something I've never done before also as well I always forget that even if you're keeping the same pace so you're keeping a consistent pace for kilometers one to three that three to four you might still be running the exact same pace that will get you that sub 20 but it will feel so much harder and that is mm. totally normal as well so it's not necessarily yeah. pushing that that fourth kilometer needs to be like drastically faster it's actually just pushing to maintain the pace that you've kept up for the first part yeah don't talk yourself out of it in that time don't hold back and and on terms of how, of your how hard out of 10 you're going you're going to have to yeah. up it just to maintain the pace and yeah. if you're accepting of that before you start the race when it gets to this point i'm going to have to dig deeper just to not slow down mm. um if you've accepted that beforehand that makes it easier whereas on the run you're like well i'm gonna have to go even harder now just to not slow down that's quite mentally difficult that there are also potentially other factors at play like we talked about in last week's podcast with you know, the heat, you're not going to be running those top times. Yeah. If he did all those top times on, you know, crisp, but non-icy winter mornings when, you know, the heat isn't a major factor. Now that's going to pull him down, you know, yeah. injuries, time of year, fueling, nutrition. There's loads of other stuff that, you know, your running does naturally go up and down. Yeah. So doesn't mean he, he won't get back to it yeah don't be too hard on yourself just get out there enjoy it give it a go and, and in a 5k it's not gonna be the end of the world you're not probably not worried about not finishing like you might be in a longer race so just just try going a bit harder yeah. earlier and then if you fade that's fine try again next time great you've been listening to the running channel podcast it's the end of another week please yeah, do we did it <laughs> we did it we got through <laughs> it please do keep emailing in podcast at the running if you want to ask us any questions or if you want to point us in the direction of anything we should be looking at races challenges anything at all no more challenges please you keep, challenges. you keep saying Andy's got to run with a buggy Andy's got to do a marathon challenges yeah. for Andy would be great yeah. <laughs> leave them in the comments <laughs> and we'll see you next time this episode was brought to you by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite everyday running shoe which has a focus on both comfort and endurance so an ultra springy responsive feel that protects your legs and keeps them feeling fresh which is what jess has been putting to the test as she's been training for over the last 12 weeks for taking on her ultimate ever 10k and she's been focused on consistency so being able to show up with those fresh legs every day and every week in order to put in the work and the recovery that she needs to do to run her best if you want to check out the under armor infinite elite head to the link in the show notes